Out on my bike ride this morning, it occurred to me that poppies would make a great one-word haiku. Now before I get into the poppy issue, let me introduce myself. I'm Patricia, for those of you visiting for the first time, but to everyone listening, welcome and thank you very much for coming along today to Series 4, Episode 11 of the Haiku P Podcast. I'll get back to poppies in a minute, but first let me tell you what I have for you today. We're definitely putting our thinking caps on because today, Stanford M. Forrester has very kindly joined me to try and get to grips with Yugen. More of that shortly. And to end today, there's a little teeny-weeny snippet from Ben Garth. Don't forget that we're writing Haiku and Senryu using Selective Realism this month. Email your submissions until the end of the deadline which is the 20th of June, 2021. This month's editing team, Jim and Robert, and Ron Craig, are waiting with bated breath to read what you're sending us. I like to give them a few poems each day, so keep them coming. And if you're not sure what our expectations are, have a look at the show notes or the YouTube presentation for podcast S4E9. It's all there. I promise. And something else. The new video prompt is up on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes. So do please go along, have a look, and put your haiku or senryu in the comments. And comment on the work of others. Let's encourage each other. Like a great big virtual hug. Now a couple of thank yous. As always, I'm grateful for the coffees you buy me. And this month, I almost had enough coffee money to pay for the podcast's SoundCloud subscription, so that was really, really appreciated. Thank you all so much. And thank yous too to everyone who replies to my mailings, or sends me little messages between podcasts. It's so nice to hear from you. So to get back to poppies. You could write poppies in blood red on a white page, But perhaps that's a a tad hyperbolic. How about poppies, centre page, black on white, and this is why I think it works. Poppies are seasonal, so for me they evoke spring. They have impact, such a vivid, beautiful colour. And of course, they remind me of the poppies of the field of Flanders or Picardy, where the First World War was fought, and of the souls who gave their lives during the war. Of course, I'm pretty sure if I've thought of it, someone else has written it, but I can't find it in a cursory search. So tell me, what are your thoughts? And now for the main event. You may agree or disagree with what we discussed today. Either way, let me know. And of course, if you'd like to build on the ideas that we put forward today, send me emails. So let's hear from Stanford. Well, you know me by now. I get overexcited at the thought of talking to my haiku idols. And here I am again, having a Zoom chat with one of my haiku heroes, Stanford M. Forrester, editor of Bottle Rockets. Yes. Hello, Stanford. 
Hi, how are you? <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks very much for coming yeah. along and doing so this. I'm happy to be here. Now, I can't believe that you don't know who he is, but for those of you who really don't, here's a little bit about him. Stanford M. Forrester is a past president of the Haiku Society of America and founder and editor of Bottle Rockets, a collection of short verse. His poems have appeared in the anthology Haiku, published by Knopf in the Everyman's Library Pockets Poets series. It's quite a mouthful. And mm. American Zen, a gathering of poets, published by Bottom Dog Press. In 2003, one of his haiku took first seat in the 57th annual Bashu Anthology Contest in Ueno, Japan. And another was a prize winner in the Haiku International Association's sixth annual haiku contest in 2004. He served as a judge for the Japan Society in New York City, the Haiku Society of America, and the Haiku Poets of Northern California. And sometimes he goes by his haiku Sekiro, which means stone dew or dew on a stone. Have I said that right, Stanford? Yeah. Oh, good. So in a wee while, we're going to talk Yugen. But as you know, when I have a guest, I like to read you some of their work. So let's start with this one. Depression. Summer and unemployment, both running out. Depression. Summer and unemployment, both running out. Now, for me, it spoke to me of the time when I was at university and had no money and the unemployment situation was pretty poor. So some years I'd get work and some years I wouldn't. But you know the end of summer when... You know, you have to go back to college or university or school and those fun days of playing tennis or swimming or whatever you've been doing are over and the unemployment money is running out. It's just it's just very depressing. So that evokes wonderful, well, maybe not wonderful <laughs> memories for me, but memories anyway. And I wondered, Stanford, where does it come from in your life? Well, this was a fairly recent poem written, obviously, during, I mean, at this time during the COVID, I've been I've been in publishing for like thirty years. I, I started at Yale University Press. I did about eight years there, and then I've been running Bottle Rockets Press since since then. But that was always considered my first job. But I had two other side jobs: one working in a bookstore and one working at this prep school, which decided to lay me off after sixteen years. Oh, so I I've lost two jobs within. A, a year period of time. And I'm actually quite happy because what it's done is it's finally letting me, even though I've always done a hunt, given a hundred percent to haiku, now it's a hundred percent without the other 50 or 75% of other things. So here's another one. Tea ceremony. It begins and ends with an empty cup. Tea ceremony. It begins and ends with an empty cup. This poem could be a death poem Oh. Um, well, in a positive way. I mean, you know, I, death poems are not negative. I mean, they, 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 you know, the Japanese tradition, there's a good book, I think, by Hoff, or Hoffman on de Japanese death poems. Oh. The beauty of this is the understanding of life. And, you know, it's also a play on the idea of the cup, the cup half empty, the cup half full. It's also a, a, a play on what is, I think, rational maybe relativism or rationalism where it's not the cup. I mean, it's not if what's in the cup, it's the cup itself. But then you also have a play too on Diogenes, the Greek philosopher who was basically trying to live as simple life as possible. And then he was down by the river one day 
and he saw a little boy cupping his hands, drinking the water. And he was so mad at himself because he hadn't thought of that. He threw the cup away. But of course, you don't want to be drinking coffee or tea out of your hand. And, and, the, and the idea is, too, the futility of things where the ceremony is kind of like the life, you know, tea ceremony. Um, that is our life. It begins and ends with an empty cup. Mm-hmm. So to understand those are all natural things that there has to be a beginning in one sense and there has to be an end. But it's again, it's it's a seamless. And if you know about it and understand it, that's what we need to do. You see, it, to me, it was just such a simple, it's a very simple idea. It's one of those yes. poems that I love that it makes me think, uh, it's like a light bulb going off in your head, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Poets Envy again, I wish I'd written it because it's it's yeah. just such a simple idea, but it's, it's just wonderful, a wonderful clarity. We're doing Yugen here today. I thought it also had a modern take maybe on that, but I thought perhaps maybe I'd leave that for later because... I'm getting ahead of myself here and uh, we should maybe go on to try and define you can before we go on I think I think you made a good point when we were discussing things a little bit earlier Stanford that we should put a disclaimer in here so you put it so eloquently last time could you go for the disclaimer again please sure you know I have an extensive library of haiku books and again I used to work at Yale Press so I had access to the Yale Library which is you know humongous it's the size of small cities you know and the point is that Yugen like many other things like haiku and senru and ideas and and forms of things have changed throughout the years throughout the centuries so it's it's very hard when we discuss Eugen, we are doing it here in an extremely general way because there's different periods of time where it had different aspects or lost aspects, gained aspects. And also depending what definition you read from where this an author is coming from, if it's a, I guess, Eugen is a major component of no theater. So you might get a slight bit definition or they might be looking at Eugen a different way for theater than they might be looking for Eugen, let's say, in poetry. Yeah. It's, you know, it's basically virtually impossible for us to cover this in a, one podcast. Again, we need a symposium, probably Oxford, Cambridge, or Harvard, or Yale, and go for a week or two. And then we would probably agree on a few things and probably not on the most. And then everyone would write a paper. <laughs> Hey, well, they just have to make do with us two today. But do you remember when we started thinking about doing this today, what you said to me about defining defining you, Eugene? Yes, it's it's my guess. It's pretty tough, <laughs> um, and I you know we have some definitions that we'll talk about, and you know the I I look at this as in the same way. It's like you need a stepping stone to kind of mm-hmm. get started, but it's the same thing with haiku is definitions are always argued that's why there's you know hundreds or maybe thousands of different poetry groups in Japan because they all have a def- different definition there's no de- there's no definitive definition of haiku mm-hmm. it does not exist and my guess would be the same with yujin Zuz- or even zen how do you describe zen you, it's just you have to get the feel for it it's like you know again um like if you wanted to l- listen to a certain type of music and it would be hard to describe i would just give that person 10 hours worth of cds or records and say listen to this this is how you're gonna and i think that's you know our approach here is giving a few examples and just kind of again exploring yeah 
Absolutely. And we've both done, as you said, a, a humongous amount of reading for today. And we've looked at the evolution of the ideas and we've looked at various definitions. And I have to tell you, Stanford, that at one time I think, oh, I've cracked it. I know what I'm talking about now. And then all of a sudden it slips through my fingers and it's gone again. It's, Absolutely. So I think people, as you said in the disclaimer, this is a very general look at broad look at things. People will either will some some people will agree with us, some people will disagree with us. But it's out there to put some ideas into people's heads and to and, and, I, and I also think too that Eugene, like any tool in a poet's toolbox, mm -hmm. this is you know, is every poet is gonna if if a poet even uses it, okay, it's it's a tool. So it doesn't mean it has to be in every single poem. Yeah. But also, depending on the style of the poet, we have to think about what degree are they using Eugen? Is it heavily filled? Is it mm -hmm. subtly filled? What aspect of Eugen does each poet choose? And then we have to think of us again as the reader of poetry is haiku poets are generally, we've been trained to learn how to be aware of the subtleties in life. That's how we, that's why we're poets. We, mm -hmm. we see things other people don't see. And it's a very simple, it's a very common, for example, idea in Jodo Shinshu, which is Pure Land Japanese Buddhism, where they say there's this power above us. This is Yujin all the way. A power above us, it's always there. But it, it's almost like we have a boat and we have a sail. And the, the power is the wind all around us. If we don't hoist the sail, we don't tap into that energy or that power. Mm -hmm. So as haiku poets, that's what, you know, we need to be aware when we read and know that it's a cosmology, an Asian cosmology. So if we do use Yujin, which we, you and I had talked about in our own stuff, I mean, I was a practicing Buddhist for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I have some stuff with Buddha, Buddhas in it because I went to a Buddhist temple for 30 years, you know? And, and I mean, I went to another temple before that even, you know? But so our Yujin could maybe be a different type, not based on the Shinto, the, the Buddhist, the Taoist, the shamanistic thought um, groups in Asia, but it could be what we're talking about, maybe some stuff in Catholicism, right, with the mystery of the, I don't know, the Holy Trinity. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, so I don't know. But, you know, we have in the West our aspects, or maybe like an old amusement park, right in Pier. Um, I could, you know, in England, I remember going there, that had a lot of Eugen of the past. And yes. like, you know, like even like these old arcade machines, you know, you can yeah. write about arcade machines. They have the one with the gypsy fortune teller, right? There's Eugen right there. Drop a quarter in or whatever, how many euros to, <laughs> to get your fortune from a mechanical gypsy. That's Eugen. I think you have actually got some definition for us, haven't you, Stanford? So I want to read the, the Alan Watts one first, which is much shorter, or about okay. Alan Watts and Eugen. Eugen is not simply an aesthetic ideal to be striven for in art, but should, here's the key, should be ideally experienced and embodied in one's life. That's, the mo that's really important. Eugen means eliciting psycho-spiritual well-being through an awareness of the mysterious depths of existence and implies be, being deeply moved to the core of one's being without quite knowing why. Mm. So I look at it too as a transition between the realms, you know, of the six realms of Buddhism. We, you know, when you start looking to something mystery 
it's 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 a seamless transition. It's not like a Disney movie. You know, there's the Wicked Witch, or you know, or like a Shakespeare with the with the three witches and Macbeth. It's yeah. more. It's more. It's 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 to the point where like, did I see that? Or you know, you start questioning yourself, and that could be in a positive. It doesn't. You know, again, it doesn't have to be. You know, the techniques are like, you know, rain, mist, cloudy, dusk, dawn where the thing, the Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's TV show, that's one aspect. But then there's also the wonder, the wonderment, the opposite. Again, Eugene, I believe, is a two-sided two coin from what I gather. So you have this wonderment of light, the sky, the birds doing a certain thing. That's a, that's a positive wonderment. That's more on, on the light side of, you know, of the force mm -hmm. compared to the, the darker side, which would be more of focusing on the animal realm, the ghost realm, and the hell realm. So then I have the DTC, D, I mean, DT Suzuki, which um, definition, which is a little bit more extensive. Mm -hmm. And that, and just to let you know, this, I think, would definitely apply towards, in a great way towards haiku, because DT Suzuki was best friends with R.H. Blythe. They're buried back to back in Japan in a temple outside of, or inside Kamakura, which I've, I visited and they were they, they so they had they were on the same wavelength about a lot of aspects of Zen. So the definition goes by DT Suzuki. Yujin is a compound word. Each part you and gen, meaning cloudy and penetrability. And the on the combination means obscurity, unknowability, mystery, beyond intellectual calculation calculability, long words here, yeah. but not utter darkness. Okay, that's the key, but not utter darkness. Mm -hmm. An object so designated is not subject to a dialectical an analysis or to a clear-cut definition. It is not at all presentable to our senses, our sense intellect as this or that, but this does not mean that the object is altogether beyond the reach of human experience. Mm -hmm. And then it keeps on going. We feel it's present, it's secret message being transmitted through the darkness, however impenetrable to the intellect. The feeling is all in all. Cloudiness or obscurity or indefinability is indeed characteristic. If we took characteristic of the feeling, but it would be a great mistake if we took the cloudiness for something experientially valueless or devoid of significance to our daily life. And that's the key again, daily life, because that's what haiku, haiku poets do. We celebrate and we live in the ordinary, in the yeah. daily life. But again, it's our skill to see. And then he concludes, we must remember that reality or the source of all things is to the human understanding an unknown quantity, but that we can feel it in a most concrete way. I think that's another another key thing there, the concrete way. And I had a couple more to add to this. And I'll just say that if, if somebody wants to read these definitions, I'll put them in the show notes so you can have a read and, and fully think about them because they do. I mean, they are they're not the simplest of ideas. Now, Jane Reichold has one that's still kind of like if you do a Google, that'll pop up because it's been there for the longest Mm -hmm. definition which is very short and I'm not crazy about it I'll be honest with you okay um, but I think what it does though it gives you an idea like that she uses and I think this is more of a wonderment example not okay. she calls it mystery but it's like she says a woman with 
a beautiful, I don't know if she said beautiful, but a woman with a fan covering her face and you could only see her eyes is Eugen. A woman with a ma- mud mask on her mm-hmm. face is not Eugen. Yeah, I remember that one now. Yes, yes, yeah. she does. Got another one that sort of backs up what Suzuki was saying, which says, Eugen does not, as sometimes been supposed, have to do with some other world beyond this one, but rather with the depth of the world we live in as we experience it through our cultivated imagination. It's an awareness of the universe that triggers emotional responses too deep and mysterious for words. And I think that, to me, that's another important element that when we're using this this tool in our toolbox, what we are, it's another way to elicit emotion in our reader yes. as well. And then I had a very short one that I came across. I came across it at the very last minute this morning by Robert D. Wilson, and it struck home with me because it was quite, it's, it's short and sweet and it, you know, it helps me to grasp the concept. And he said, Yugen is like an echo after the clang of a brass bell. I thought, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, can, I can live with that one. I can work with that. It's quite simple. Anyway, as you said, when you were talking about music, we wanted to get to talk about a few examples of poetry, which we hoped would clarify the whole idea or the general idea that we were talking about. Stanford, this is one of yours. Forgotten temple, a yellow flower offers itself. Forgotten temple, a yellow flower offers itself. Stanford, why did you want to put this one in? So I wrote that one in 2004 when I was in Greece visiting HF Noise. And I had gone to, um, I had gone to the Oracle at Delphi. And when I was, we were, got off the, um, the, the tour bus, I um, started walking around. Everyone immediately went up to the main, the main ruins. And I was walking around to the side and I found this tiny temple and it could have been a shrine, I don't know, but it just, it was still standing partially. And I had thought about, you know, even this idea, again, a, a seamless trans- transition between humans and flowers of or the natural world that though it, it, the temple did no longer had humans nature was still part of it and it was giving its own offering mm-hmm. you know it was very much i think and i was you know in the transcendental way you know that it keeps on going so it was just a beautiful little and it could apply you know it's like when i was in, in greece I basically put on my Japanese mind of the idea of multiple gods, Shinto gods, because they have a god for everything as the Greeks. Yes. And so I I just really enjoyed um, and I really got into, you know, mindfully and thinking about the depths of the Greek, of the Greek, ancient Greek life and and the gods. And it was very, and again, it's that Axel period that the Greeks and the Japanese, like if I said to you, this is slightly off, you, you can never take your feet out of this. You can never put your feet in the same river twice. You can never put your feet into the same river twice. Sounds very Zen. And it's not, it's Greek, it's Heraclitus. Oh. So, bada bing, they were, it was at the same time. You know, just in a different mm-hmm. country. So that 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 kind of had my mind of the Shinto, the Japanese ideas too. And then nature mm-hmm. takes over. That there is a power of nature. That we are not, again, the interdependence of all beings in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. That that major foundation pillar of thought. Yeah. 
I think the way you composed it, if you look at the, the craft, from my point of view as the non-poet here, just reading it and looking, trying to look at the Yugen idea, it's got grace and beauty, which we're looking for as well, hasn't it? And the, it's got a slight, if you're looking for the mystery and the eeriness, you've got, you've got that in the idea of the forgotten temple because it's not one of the main big blingy temples that you would go and see. And then I think the yellow, the juxtaposition with the yellow flower offering itself, it's, yes. it's just a beautiful, strong juxtaposition. And it, to... and it was filled with light when mm-hmm. I was there, you know, so the, the buildings were marble, so they were white, yes. you know, yes. and with the yellow flower. And again, it's like the, the wonderment too. I mean, you know, again, when the baby Buddha, you always see that statue in all the museums, he's pointing with one finger up in the air and he's pointing with one finger down. Yes. So the sky and the, and the earth. Yes. And you have that, the flower receiving the sun. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of the offering, which is also sort of a semi-religious idea of the, of the offering. Yeah, a, sure. a beautiful piece of work. Temple ruins, pieces of a Buddha still praying. Temple ruins, pieces of a Buddha still praying. Tell us a bit about that one then. This one, I had originally seen a photograph that was put next to a poem by Octavio Paz, who was a Nobel Prize winning poet. He was Mexican and he was, I think at one time, and like a lot of poets, they were ambassadors. They worked in the foreign service. He was ambassador to India. And he was also um, an ambassador to uh, maybe Japan at one point or traveled to Japan. But he had, he had written a poem about Buddhas in, in ruins. And I just thought the idea is, in the end, what Buddha said was, he said that I will not be able to help you. I, I, and same, Jesus said the same thing. I will not help you. Buddha will not help you. It's our teachings that will help you. Mm-hmm. So in this sense that the Buddha, the impermanence of the Buddha really doesn't matter. But the idea of, of what he had taught and even, and that's to me kind of like with the, the hands are still there, the ruins, but the hands are still there, the praying, that kind of represents that the spirit is not broken. And, it, you know, and everything is, again, impermanent. So the Buddha is just, was just a visual mm-hmm. to teach us that. And, and then the Buddha is actually using itself, if you want to personify that Buddha into a god or deify that that statue that look even when i am in pieces the spirit is still whole yeah you know? and i think some, something else i got from the readings we've been doing is that yugen will will express some form of, of beauty it will be express it will take the ordinary and elevate it like like the yellow mm-hmm. flower in the previous one and in this case the broken the broken buddha and it doesn't have to be something beautiful. So your yellow flower could have been a weed. Uh, didn't yes? It would have been it most fine. Likely it was. It probably yeah. was. Yeah. This Buddha is broken and lying in pieces. So it's not the the beautiful piece of work it once was. Of it, it's it, it's it's a ruin of what it was. And yet the poem has elevated it into something extraordinary as yeah. well. Yeah. When I was in graduate school studying Spanish literature, we had talked about ruins mm-hmm. and ruins evoke the past. So yeah. when you see, when you have a poem with ruins in it, you're, you're actually, you know, even though it's a haiku moment, and it's in the now, your mind wants to, and it should, it should like 
hit another level. Like the, in, in the United States, we had the poets around, I mean, the painters around the same time as the transcendentalists, the Hudson Valley, or Hudson River painters. They would do two paintings. They would go to Europe and paint a castle in ruins. Mm-hmm. would be one painting with the landscape and everything. And then they would do a second painting with the same exact landscape and then with the building in, as if it were new back in the ancient times. So you're comparing the two uh-huh. at the same time. And that's what kind of, when we see ruins, our mind goes to what was in the past. It, it, gives, it gives us an idea, makes us remember our humanity and that time, the idea of time and impermanence. Yes. by looking at that but it's it's also there's also the beauty the wabi the rustic beauty too yeah absolutely yeah. but it took me back when i read this it took me to cambodia and this could have been about angkor wat and it's 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 beautiful and even though it's absolutely swamped with tourists it still has the element of spirituality yeah. hasn't been lost not yet anyway who, who yeah. knows what will happen in the future so that was beautiful. And then I've got another one I'm going to share, but it's not one of yours this time. This one is from Jackie Pierce. She won the third prize Martin Lucas Haiku Award in 2020, and it's from Presence at Issues 69. It's a different take, shall we say. So let's, let's hear it. Hide and seek. I disappear into the sound of rain. Hide and seek. I disappear into the sound of rain. Yes, yes, that's a beautiful poem. And the U, the Yugen in there, again, is to me, this is like, it's like multiple Yugen in the sense that it keeps seamlessly going up and back mm-hmm. again. Um, like in some poems, it's just like the rain that acts as, you know, you're moving away the curtain or going through it. I mean, there's a passage, right, from one realm into the next. And yes. that's why, like the Jiza we were talking about before, um, who was the you know bodhisattva for um, traveling and is put on the road, but you know always the seamless tr- transition and our, and the the mist, the rain, yeah, that's a wonderful poem. Yes, uh, you you've hit it. I mean, that's for what it was for me. The, the 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 mist of the rain took me straight into that sort of Yugen sphere. Jackie has not cho- has not chosen. You know, a wonderful, beautiful vision. It's the rain. You know, rain is quite miserable sometimes, and yet she's elevated it. And she also, um, hide and seek, I disappear into the sound of the rain. And it could very well be the way she disappears is because now she's wet. Yeah, true. You this know, is true. so there, there's a physical, there's a physical transition too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important that we lose that so much. Like, that's why I think Santoka is such a wonderful poet, because his stuff is, if you're reading about his travels, you have to, like, when we read about rain now, we're, nine out of 10 times, we're probably sitting out inside watching the rain from the window, compared to the poet who is actually physically getting wet, might not have a change of clothes, might be walking. So they're going to get soggy and itchy and they could get cold or sick. We, that's what we need to feel when we read. I mean, that's part of, part of it. But when she gets wet, because it's hide and seek into the sound of rain, now the rain is, is more. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's, yeah. Coming from, she's coming inside out now instead of outside in. 
Yeah, a, a terrific job there, Jackie. Thank you. Yeah, so our last example today is from Stanford again, and it's morning light, all the stone Buddhas robed in gold. Morning light, all the stone Buddhas robed in gold. Yeah, I wrote this one in Tokyo at Zojoji Temple. That one was filled, that complex with Jizos, but it was also filled with the stone Buddhas. Again, the Yujin to me is this wonderment. We always see the stone Buddhas, but now, you know, the sun is rising. It's a very optimistic, it's a wonderment poem, but it's like to see all of a sudden now we're seeing past the veil. They're robed in gold. They're really, they have that beautiful yellow instead of just rags. Mm -hmm. But the, the beauty of it and the supernatural maybe or wonderment again is that it's of light. So it's not permanent like the Buddha is not permanent. They take it off at the end of the day. They put it back on in the morning. That's another <laughs> That's another version of that poem, I guess, you know? I guess so. And again, it, much like some of the others, there is that godlike religious um, atmosphere about it. And in the play of the the morning light and the gold, uh, I don't think you need to see it. I've, I've seen it again in, in temples in Thailand, but there is a great, again, state of beauty and godlike presence when you see these these things, regardless of the, the number of tourists that are around snapping it. it it's sure. just beautiful. And so I, I really, I really enjoyed that poem. Thank you, Stanford. So now... Yeah. We've given the examples, we've had a bash at defining it. Do you have any tips for somebody who would be writing using this part of their toolkit? I would say, to again, get a feeling first, mm -hmm. read the classical ones mm -hmm. um, to give yourself a background and understand that, again, they're coming from a Buddhist, they're coming, they're coming from a, a different set of aesthetic values, aesthetic and aesthetic values and we probably have or we do have maybe it's not as defined in the in the west our own you know again our own eugen you know i mean i think it's okay to be and i'm a big proponent of writing about asian things if you've experienced them but not necessarily you know if you haven't experienced them there's still enough here and you know writing your again it's it's your day it's it's the haiku is daily it's, it's our part of our daily life. So um, it's, you know, find the huge, I mean, it could be about like in the United States where the American Indians once were. Mm -hmm. It could be finding an arrowhead or in, you know, even like, you know, how we, you know, the Japanese have cicadas. That's very huge and like, right? You know, mm -hmm. where the, the shell is left, but the cicada is gone. Yeah. You know, we have our 17-year cicadas here, which actually this year is coming to the East Coast. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to that. I remember mm -hmm. as a child in New York City, um, in Staten Island, the whole street covered completely. Like, you could not see the street. It was crazy. Wow. But so, you know, we have our own set of eugens from our own, um, like, you know, of course, there's a lot of poets from India. They have definitely their own more Eugen than probably anybody, you know, explore your own. And it could be, again, very subtly used. It could, it depends on what degree and what type of, it could be more on the hyperbole side mm -hmm. of things, um, or it could be very, very subtle. So I, th I thank you so much for coming along and, and helping me 
grasp at the idea of Yugen. Thanks so much, Stanford. But before you go, I have some questions for you. Just a, a couple, if you don't mind, because I know you have got a, a beautiful printing press of your own at home. I don't know. Do you do you use that press for for bottle rockets or no? You, no, I would kill my, I would kill myself if I had to use oh, okay. it for bottle rockets. <laughs> It, 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 I have a small antique Kelsey printing press. It's probably like 70, 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And it actually was manufactured not that far from me. I'm living in the printing press capital of, of the West. New England was huge because we had the paper mills in Maine. The paper would come down in Massachusetts and Connecticut. But um, so I do use that for some broadsides and I do small letterpress books. But I, I, I've, it's, it's so expensive and time oh. um, that I usually don't push that. But I, I do, as, as we had talked about, I do a lot of freelance work. I've, mm-hmm. I've edited and helped. I've done... I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 freelance books for people mm-hmm. that want to have um, their, their poetry out. If people want to contact you, I noticed that you have these services on your website yes. so they can contact you through through the website on yes. that one. But they can also buy your books on your website too, which are beautiful. They can. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm very happy that the new Cat Anthology just came out literally uh-huh. like, a, like a few days ago. So that's been mailed out to the contributors and I'll be posting that uh, on the website. I'll put the website details on the, on the show notes so people can sure. check in and, and have a look at that too. I've read your book, so I would definitely recommend people to, to go ahead and, and buy them. And don't forget, of course, that you can also submit to Bottle Rockets. Read the submission guidelines carefully, as you should do for any organization or any journal, really. I think it's it's worth reading your submission guidelines just because they're, they're they're a great set of guidelines. I enjoyed reading them. It's a great little journal. Well, not little journal. It's an yeah, old journal years. by now. I, I've seen what works. You know, I've had that privilege, you know, that experience of after 22 years, um, seeing what works in the journal and what doesn't. You never want to send a submission into some place that you know nothing about. I'm sure you'll be back at Stanford because it's... Yeah. It, it's been a pleasure talking to you today Absolutely and thank you for too. thanks for helping me getting a bit of a grasp on it and I would say to people don't worry too much we're just beginning we're looking at this in general terms and we're going to grow in this together so thank you so much for helping us grow Stanford okay. thank you so that's our presentation on Yugen for now It's hard, and we've really only just scratched the surface, so I thought I'd give you some of my takeaways from today, to give you an idea what the editing team will be looking for when it comes to writing for the topic. Stanford said, if you visit temples, if you've been to the East, write about the temples, write about the mysticism, the Zen of the East, but don't try imagining it. Go for something closer to home, Write about something ordinary, but highlight the extraordinary, a bit like Stanford's Little Yellow Flower. Write about something that's moved you, because it will surely connect emotionally with your reader. And of course, show your reader, don't tell them. Aim for something deep and mysterious, or something which expresses wonderment. Now, how do you get that feeling? How do you elicit that feeling of Yugen? Here's some more ideas. 
write about something of the past. You can go way back in history, to the ancient times, to your childhood, or really just something that happened to you not so long ago. But something that's deep and meaningful. You could also write about the subtle interchanging of realms, as Stanford did in his poetry. Choose words carefully which elicit that sense of darkness or mystery, grace or beauty. Express the beauty in the ordinary. And remember, we're haiku poets, so our poems always take place in the present. So that's almost it for today. One last reminder that the topic for this month, June 2021, is selective realism. Any haiku or senryu you like, just use that tool from your toolbox to write them. I accept emails only, and I'm very, very strict on the deadline. Next time on the podcast, your beautiful poems written to include Kigo. Do come along. I think you're going to enjoy it. And now, I'll leave you with a little snippet from Ben Gar. Until next time. Keep writing. To get to those gift poems that come out perfectly right, mm-hmm. you know, you have to write like, I don't know how many, what the number of how many bad ones it seems like you're working on before the other thing just plops out of the sky, right in the middle of where you're trying to work on something else. It's like, where did you come from? I don't even know where this happened, but there it is and it's perfect. But it, those don't just happen. You can't just, as a poet, just sit around all day and just think, oh, I'm just going to write one poem when I'm inspired, and that one poem, that one draft is going to be perfect. No, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) If you think I've left anything out of the show notes, or I need to amend something, send me an email, let me know. Ciao!